Welcome to Chew the Fat with Dan and Matt. This is your fortnightly podcast where we look at everything in pop culture, some awesome science, we go round the grounds in sport, throw in a true story or two, have a good laugh and look out for a wicked quiz. Stay tuned. All right, bro, hypnol. We're back again. Bro, hypnol. I was, I was waiting for bro, hypnol. I thought it was going to be little bro, peep, but uh, no. That hey, was don't give of, away all my yeah. good stuff. I'm saving them. Bro, hypnol today. Do you like that one? No, not much at all. That's a drug. Have you ever been roofied, bro? Someone who slipped you a Mickey? Uh, probably, but. Uh... <laughs> It's no laughing matter, of course. My wife admitted to me recently that she's she did it towards to the end of my horrendous drinking. She'd slip me a Mickey, like to just get me to pass out on the couch, so I'd put an end to her misery. Wow. So, yeah, quite full on. Luckily, I don't drink anymore, so I don't have to worry about her drugging me. But yeah, that was that's quite confronting when she told me that. Be careful out there, people. Don't ever drink open uh, vessels and whatnot. Yeah, I talked to my daughter about this, you know, like this, I don't accept drinks from random strangers. I just had a couple beers. Listen to your heartbeat. How many you hurt? You just can't. Serial killers all just, you know, like Dharma. That's how, that was his go-to. Mm. Just drugging people. Yeah, he's pretty incompetent, but he actually managed to drag 35 boys home to his house without getting caught. Anyway, that's a, um, a bro for you. Bro, what's been happening with you? Today, just today, I was a, uh, had to be square like umpire at Henry's Cricket. That was pretty exciting. So, you know, you got to stand there and uh, behind the guy, when he, his legs when he's batting, watch for. Run outs? Mainly that's your job, run outs, but also you look at dumpings and then the height of the ball. So if the ball's bowled on a full, on a full toss and it's above um, his waist, yeah, that's a no, no, ball. no ball. And if it bounces but it goes above his shoulder, No ball as well, so you got to do this call. Free hit? I'm putting my arm out, showing you. You can't. No one else can see besides you. <laughs> Did you give any? Yeah, I gave a no ball. I was overruled for the main oh. <laughs> You had a crack and you got overruled yeah, by said, who? The, the main he said the ball wasn't fast enough, don't worry about it. So. Oh, okay, fair enough. So you didn't get the height wrong. You just The pace wasn't mm. considered dangerous. You can't run your speed. Yeah, when it's fastballs. No one told me that. Did you nearly get your head taken off? It's quite a dangerous position there, the hook shot. Yeah, well, I honestly watch from the boundaries a lot, as our listeners would know, and my eyesight's not that great, and I can't hardly see what's going on. So I was in the middle, and it was actually really much more interesting than normal, you know, because I'm watching really yeah. close, and I was, like, right in yeah. amongst the action. And I've got fielders right behind me, you know. and Best seat in the house. And I'm watching this batsman looking right at me. And I was like, oh, this guy's scoping the boundary behind me. Sure enough, the guy floats a pie down and he just cracks it, makes a thunderclap, and just comes flying right at me. Wow. And I just ducked just in time and the ball just went flying over my head and flat forward. So I was on my toes a bit more after that. Yeah, Square right. like umpire. 
have more respect for you from now on. Well, you can imagine, like, you know, being out there for Warnie or something like that as an ump. It would have been pretty amazing mm. to watch some of these great games and be hopefully not right in the centre of it making bad decisions. I guess, was it mentally exhausting just having to be on your game every ball like that? Pull yourself together and... Yeah, well, I'd never done it before. The umpire, who's a really cool young kid, came and said to me, OK. Uh, you just got to do this, you know, the height, and the one ounce of it. It's also... Just count the balls, um... And when there's two balls to go, just do this. People can't see it, like reverse peace sign. Do that on your leg, and I'll look at you, and I'll do it to you, and we'll just confirm that we've got two balls to go on the over. Six ball over, yes. but then, you know, wides, extra ball, no balls, extra ball. So, you know, yeah. make sure you just keep count. I just feel like, oh, this is really, yeah, and watching and watching, and I look across, and he's, like, doing this two thing, and I'm like, oh, yeah, two, that's right, yeah. two, pretty good. But they lost, and uh, Henry only got one run. Yeah, you haven't been doing much. I was at the pool. I go to the pool once a week to exercise. And you would have noticed this, bro. Grandpas. Grandpas, when they're naked, I go and have a shower after. Oh, really? That happens still? I thought that that would be like a segregated sort of... No, no, it's still balls out. I wonder at what stage of your life do you start not caring that your balls are hanging out? And when do you swap your dressing? Like, what do you put on first? If if you're in a public shower and you get out of the shower, talk me through it. What, What would you do? Yeah, it would be my jocks first, I guess. Yes. Okay. Jocks first. You'd think so, wouldn't you? I got out the other day and of the shower and there's this grandpa and he's got his shoes and his socks on, his shirt and his hat, <laughs> but no jocks. He's got nothing. And he, this guy was normal. He was chatting to people and stuff, but he jocks were the last thing that went on except for his shorts. But it's just like, it was baffling. It's mm. like, and, you know, I've seen other guys standing there doing their hair in the mirror naked. It's like, put your... Jocks on first, and then it does sound like a bit of a bit of a nude beach going on down there. (laughs) It's it's a local public pool. I mean, you know, I guess you get crazies there, but yeah, just just baffles me. Some people, you know, put your junk away, people, really, especially when it's hanging down to your knees. That's that's about the most exciting thing that's happened to me recently. (laughs) Seeing a naked grandpa in the pool. Well, that was. This the week that was. This week, Daniel Turner would be played by Nicky Malava. The couple of weeks that was. We've got a huge show today. It's a finale. It's the big breakfast, bro. It's the big breakfast with everything on top. We're doing the week that was, of course. We've just done that. We'll go into They Said What, where we look at a bit from last week. Episode. Yeah, there's a bit there to um, cover. That was a great episode. I think I've got a lot of good feedback there. And then we're going to have a jump into pop culture where we're going to look at a couple of horror movies that we've just recently had a look at. I saw Terrifier 2. Bro, you had a look at Sinister. A bit of feedback on those movies. And then it's over to Sports Alert where we've actually rolling not only Sports Alert but Mount Rushmore into Sports Alert and looking at the top five greatest Australian sporting moments and of course the quiz bro you've got a quiz to bring us on home as always yep so people could save this for their trip to Exmouth down to Albany put put your earphones in while you're gardening I tend to listen to podcasts cleaning the pool walking to and from school you know that sort of stuff people like just go hey you and you can't hear a word they're saying like because you're walking along with you that's why I <laughs> wear my headphones <laughs> let's kick it off with <gasps> they say what I tell you what they said, Dan. I tell you they said they said that the Dart mission. Do you remember the mission? Oh my god! The rocket into an asteroid to move it off its target. 
They did it. They actually did it. Worked. It worked, and it was fantastic. Did you see? The, did you actually watch the film of that? They had like a camera on it, and it shows it like second by second. They're worried that a, a giant asteroid's going to come and smash right into into Earth. So they thought, let's have a plan. We can shoot a missile and knock it out of the way a little bit like a, you know. A pool ball. Boop, knock it out of the way. It doesn't hit Earth. We're saved. Everyone's seen the movies. They did it. They had like a camera on it. Google it frame by frame as you get closer and closer and closer. And you're finally like right up and you can see the dust and the rocks on this thing and then... And then it goes black, of course, and they're all like, yeah, we did But they took them like 48 hours to work out whether they actually changed its trajectory. But they did. They actually changed it further than they ever thought they could. Don't know where it's going now. Probably to some alien planet that's going to... What I'm about to do to your stubborn, annoying little planet. I'm going to enjoy it very, very much. Don't mess with the outer space, but that's pretty cool that we know that that could work. The dinosaur extinction was an asteroid hitting, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I, mess- I messaged NASA and said, well done, from Cheer the Fat with Dan and Matt, following it closely. And we here at NASA appreciate your support, Dan and Matt. Yeehaw! Stuff I've got for They Said What was is related to our last episode, pop culture. There was always going to be massive omissions, but the, probably the big one that stuck out, and that is... Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before. Better. Stronger. Faster. The original Steve Austin... Six million dollar man, not the stupid bad wrestler. Who's, actually, that's a bit unfair. I'm thinking of uh, John Cena. He's the one that misses people by a good foot. You know, it was around the same time as Night Rider and The Incredible Hulk. Mm. Around that sort of era, those ones were coming around, and it always had the same voiceover guy. They were quite dramatic, but it was really good. And you had the doll with the clutch hand and the eyes. Action figure. Hello. It was not a doll. Oh, it was not a doll. <laughs> Action figure. Matt's series. He, I remember in the intro, he like jumps a big fence. What sort of things did he get up to? Was he always on the run from the CIA or something or the FBI? Yeah, that's sent in a little red tracksuit. That'd send him in on missions, and he'd, he could run faster than trains and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> just like super fast legs. And did he have an accident, over. or was he experimented on? What was his story? Oh no, he was flying in an experimental spaceship and it crashed. But, you know, he was such a oh, so they had to re- he married had to rebuild him. Genie, I dream of Genie. He's married to her. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But it sounds like That's the same guy. JR from, uh, from <laughs> Dallas. No, uh, this was Lee Majors, wasn't Lee it? Lee Majors, yeah. Oh, he married Farrah Fawcett like Majors. Derek, Farrah oh, Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett. Yeah, and she was, yeah, very I think hot. she might have been Charlie's Angels. So, yeah. yeah. All, so they were a hot couple at the, in the 80s. Mm. But, yeah, I, I'm amazed we missed that because that – You'd watched that religiously, that show. It was, it was fantastic. And, but, yeah, I think you were pretty young then. You are probably still up in your cot, banging your cot around with your head around the room. Yeah. Used to be able to move. Opening my head out. Used to be able to move that cot a fair way. Magnum P.I., shout out to Jay. You know, he's not rich at all. We've kind of butchered Magnum's backstory. Higgins was supposedly looking after the mansion that was owned by the never-seen Robin Masters, who we later find out was actually Higgins. So Higgins owned everything. 
and was pretending to be the butler. So Magnum lived in the guest house and was allowed to drive the Ferrari. He solved crimes with his ex-Vietnam vet buddies who were all just trying to find their way after the war. Yeah, I'm not sure what the end game was for Higgins, but he was certainly loaded and, yeah, pretending to be... He was a smug butler, the that's butler. For sure. Hello. Uh, Higgins, it's me. What is it, Magnum? Something's gone terribly wrong at the estate. I can sense it. No, everything's fine at the estate. It is? Yeah, listen, uh, I've been sitting here at your desk. What? Magnum, if you so much as touch one item on that desk. What are you doing? Nothing. My cognac. You're drinking my French cognac, aren't you? Higgins, I wouldn't even dream of drinking your cognac. You're eating. You're eating at my desk. I can hear you. No, Higgins, I am not eating. Are you smoking one of my handmade Canary Island cigars? Thanks, Higgins. Magnum. Uh, I noticed that the curse of Dan and Matt struck again. Oh, good Lord. Huh? I've had requests to talk about Donald Trump. We have talked about <laughs> Donald Trump. He won't <laughs> die. But Angela Lansbury did. Uh, we slagged her off and she died. Three for three, I'm not sure it? if... Yeah, I'm not sure if our listeners are aware of this curse. That Every time we talked about someone, they, they cark it. We've done it to Warney. We bagged Warney. Dead. We bagged the Queen. She actually was on the show um, saying how much she liked the show. Next week, dead. Literally, like the next week after publishing. And, of course, Angela Lansbury copped a roasting last ep and dead within minutes. I was thinking about talking about Cracker as well. Cracker was Robbie Coltrane. He's like that guy in... Uh Porridge? In <laughs> maybe porridge. No, that was the two Ronnie's guy. Yeah, it was too. It was too. No, in a franchise that we one. won't mention on the show. He's uh Hogarth or something. Ooh, oh, how do I course. know that? The the one that cannot be mentioned. <laughs> he died as well. He, he was too. a fat cop. It was really it was a cool show. We would have mentioned him if we were allowed to, but we weren't. So. Yeah, he was actually on my list for fat cop answers, but we just got barge arse instead, I think. <laughs> Okay, so be careful if you get mentioned in the show. I think it harks back to Proctor and Sons when we went, you know, we did go down a paranormal route and I don't know what can of worms you opened, mm. right? Now, I won't go into eight is enough. Those guys were on drugs, do you know? Like, Yeah, I mentioned that. Oh, no, I mentioned the Partridge family were all on drugs. On, well, the eight, eight is enough as well. Yeah, they're on coke a lot, so... <laughs> the people used to joke that the show's called an, an Eight Ball Isn't Enough. Hollywood must have just been rife at the time then. Mm. Brady Bunch was at the same time, but they were, they were pretty straight, pretty clean. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway. Greg wasn't on the Greg wasn't on the bong? No. Surely, you know, but I, that, I, towards the end he was. I'm pretty sure Greg and uh, the mum hooked up at some point. We did talk about the old men TV shows. What was that? Uh, Cat Weasel and... Um, Warzel Gummage. Warzel Gummage. They wouldn't do shows like that these days, you know, because it's kind of like just making fun of, like you say, disheveled, homeless, crazy people. Vagrant. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Vagabonds. Yeah, it's a, we've kind of moved beyond that. But I was thinking about, you know, the way they have clowns in the old days. Clowns were like vagabond sort of dudes, you know, with their nose and they had like a, a, a shadow of uh, a beard and, you know, they're all like sad and they quite often had to stick with the yeah. thing on the back, you know, and, and it was just funny to make fun of homeless people. Please, sir, I want some more. 
in the old days, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Oh, look at this guy. He's got nothing. Yeah. Came out with his ripped up pants and they'd kick him up the butt. Even um, cartoons, Bugs Bunnies and stuff, they'd have make fun of the homeless guys, wouldn't they? Like, Brief. far we've come, people. Far we've come. We don't help them anymore, but we just don't make fun of them. That's a difference. We we pretend they're not there. We walk, look the other way. People do not put the hose on them in the morning to <laughs> clean out the shop front. We also talked about Norman Gunston. Who was yep. Norman Gunston? Real name? You- Gary McDonald. You- oh, of, of course. course. he followed that. Mother and son. Mother and son. Yeah. Arthur. I say Arthur. What a show that was. Yeah, that was a real. We must have mentioned that last week, surely. No. That was a good- no, we didn't. Good show. Hmm. Two quality actors took their craft very seriously, and he's such a nervous. He's Australia's Woody Allen without the pedophilia. Like a really nervous guy, you know, he used to throw up before going on stage. He used to live with the mother, didn't he? And then the brother would come around and he'd be like, Nah, you just take care of this. I've just got to go. And he looked like the boss out of the Jetsons. Gary McDonald, I don't know what he's doing these days, probably about 80, but uh, yeah, he, he was very good. Norman Gunston as a young man, good career. Yep. Gary McDonald, salute you. We didn't mention Kingswood Country either. I mean, let that one slip. Remember that show? Yeah. No, you're not taking the Kingswood anyway. Take a bus, take a train. You're probably the only one who could understand the announcements. Bloody jabbering wogs, for all I know, they could be telling me to do something obscene. The most un-PC show ever. Mm. Like, you know, that's, talk about not woke. Racist and sexist and everything. But I guess that was having a bit of fun at that. Money on the fridge, wog. Yes, exactly. That's a quote. That's a quote. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure what, they had a, what, an Aboriginal statue Neville. statue in the garden. And there was a really dumb mother who just cooked and... Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, quite a clever show, really. Just all the stereotypes of Australian society at the time. Yeah, and it wasn't really saying it's cool. It was just saying how bad no. people were. Saying Ted was an idiot. You know, interracial marriage with his sister and the Italian guy was actually they were quite cool and... Progressive. Yeah, and at the end of the show, they'd always get on top, wouldn't he? And they'd be like, they'd, yeah. they'd take his Kingswood for a cane or something like that. Not the bloody Kingswood! He'd always end up jumping out of his recliner. No, not the bloody Kingswood! Yeah, classic show. I bet it will be terrible if you watched it now. Good memories. Don't go back to it. Yeah, like Hey Hey. I think they'd celebrated Hey Hey's 100 years old or something this week. God, that show was bad. You, you mentioned how it wasn't funny then, and it's certainly not funny now. We're, and we're it, it three is three hours, that show. Like, was this yeah, and it's, it is really bad. Like Daryl and John Blackman and those guys, they, they just weren't actually very funny, I hate to say. I know it's an Australian institution, but I'd, it wasn't really lowbrow humour. Well, I think they had a guy at the front no, telling the crowd to laugh. So that you'd know when it yeah. was funny. Terrible. I don't know why they keep reminding us how bad our Saturday nights used to be. <laughs> why let it go? Okay, Dan, I've got a couple more here. I, um, I can feel you're going to pull me up any minute now. Now, I've got to pull you up on yeah, this. There we go. There it is. Yeah. Now, this was places named after people who were questionable in the way that they treated Aboriginal. A road that you mentioned. I, I looked it up and I can't for the life of me. You, you said Cottesloe Highway. And I'm thinking... <laughs> I was getting a bit emotional at that point, and I was just firing on all cylinders. And perhaps I refused to use the name, bro. I refused to accept it as Captain James. And I grew around that area. Highway. There was not really a <laughs> lot of highway. Drove I around, I got drove around trying to find Cottesloe Highway. <laughs> but you know that Cottesloe Highway is named after the Baron of Cottesloe. And he was the brother of C.H. Fremantle. Yeah, so... Uh, okay, so there is a Cottesloe Highway. No, the Cottesloe, the suburb. Yep. Yeah. Stealing Highway, of course. There's not many other highways in that area. 
No, that's the one. That's the one they should change. No, they should definitely not take anything off anyone who hasn't been implicated in a massacre. You know, there was a lot of good people doing a lot of hard work to set up uh, settlements. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, but if you Google um, Cottesloe Highway and find yourself lost, that's because there's no such place as Cottesloe Highway. And I heard that back and went, oh, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. <laughs> well, Apologies to the Cottesloe family. Hmm. Dragging them through the mud. I'm sure they're doing okay down there. You brought up the scary banana splits movie. Yeah. I had a bit of, I haven't seen it. Had a bit of trouble believing that, so I looked it up myself. In fact, totally true. It sort of has the same characters. Fleekle, Bingo, Drooper and Snorkly. You know, they've gone murderous. Their show kind of gets cancelled and they go crazy and slaughter right. people. But it, what it brought to me, to my attention, was a new movie that's coming out. Let me guess. Blood and Honey. <sighs> How'd you guess this? The, I can't believe it. True story of Winnie the Pooh. Blood the and true honey. story. Madness. Yeah, you heard about that. I watched, I, have, I watched the yeah. video clip of it today. Yeah. It's creepy. It does. It doesn't look anything like the, the Pooh Bear I remember. It's no. the story of Pooh and Piglet as they go on a murderous rampage after Christopher Robin abandons them. I like it. It's it's original. Good on these people for coming up with an original idea for a horror movie because, you know, we've all seen Camp Pash Lake and all that sort of stuff a million times. So interesting. Post-abandonment, because Christopher Robin would have moved on in his life and left him behind. Yeah. Watch the video. You couldn't think of anything more innocent than Pooh and Piglet, you know. Yeah, I was wondering whether Eeyore's going to be in there somewhere. You know, like, oh, please, don't don't kill another guy. Tigger, Tigger. Tigger, yeah. Him bouncing in would be scary, wouldn't it? Pooh, the silhouette of him looks quite evil, quite scary. You know, I left that one last purposely, Dan, because I thought it would be a brilliant segue into... You're good on your segue. Pop culture. Better than Ian Healy. Remember when Ely, Ian Healy fell off his segue at the cricket? <laughs> you know, they're called segues, aren't they? Those things you drive with the, you know. Mm. He got he, he borrowed the cameraman's and he totally fell off and like, took a massive divot out of the MCG. But I digress. You're right, bro. Talking of original horror movie ideas, we'll have to have a look at Blood and Honey. Yeah, I think we're going to have to, definitely. And and I might even look at the uh, Banana Splits, Split Your Head with an Axe. But you kind of read my segue across there. Oh, okay. To horror, to the horror movies, which is our next part in... Okay, it's time for... Pop Culture! All right, Dan, this movie that uh, I heard was voted the scariest movie ever. So I thought I'd give it a chance. This one's meant to be next level, Dan, to Sinister. Have you heard of Sinister? Uh, I have heard of it. Is it a franchise at this point or is it just a one-off? No, it is. Yeah, there's more than one. There's definitely one, more than one because Ollie was watching Sinister 2 the other day. So we're talking kind of spiritual Proctor and Son style genre? It's got a lot of the same attributes as... Hereditary, was it? Or what was Hereditary and Conjuring, you know, it's sort of like demon. But this demon, he uses photos and then later on in society's evolved. He's gone from photos to TV, then to film and then to video, you know. So he seems to use imagery to capture children. And he keep takes the children with him. He steals the children, one of the children from each family. From the media yeah. he uses, like photo or well, they look at it. Down. They look at it or something, and then they get sucked into it, sort of. They get sucked into the film or they get sucked into the photo. Run, Bella, like Caroline, run as fast as you can. No. A family moves into a new house. 
as it often in horror. Ethan Hawke's the dad, you know, from Moon Knight. He's an author and he's trying to write a new book and he's got a lot of pressure. And Here's Johnny. He finds these old film canisters and one of those rolling cinema thing and he he plays it and it's all about all these different families. He researches them, where where they come from, and he kind of gets obsessed by it. And one kid in every family, or something horrible happened to the family at the end of it, and they all die. One drown or in a car in the river and another one all burned to death and the other one's stabbed in their beds. But one of the kids is always missing out of it and he kind of links it all together. Eventually one of his kids gets taken and he gets this old guy who researches demons and stuff involved and he finds out that he, he's just... Oh, yeah, there's a lot to this guy, you know. He's Bagul, the eater of children. And Bagul steals one child from each and then they murder the rest of the family. Anyway, it was scary in parts... The dead guy, Bagul, looked kind of like dead Nick Cave. You know Nick Cave? Was he meant to be the devil or a, a demon? Just a demon. You're kind of like thinking, oh, he's trying to save these kids. And then they, you find out that the one kid that he stole, he possesses them, and that kid goes back and kills the family. So it's like a twist that the, they're trying to save the kid, but the kid is the one that's the bad. And then at the end, all these kids show up from every family, and they come on, come with us to the guy's daughter. She joins Joins the murderous little gang of demon kids and Bagul-led kind of eater of children. And uh, then they go That's off quite a cool twist. Hmm. So the car into the river, the fire, the stabbings in the bed was all perpetrated by the missing child from the family. Yeah, and they didn't really know that she was watching the films. Like, she would go up to the attic and watch the films because she was kind of inquisitive, and that's how she got sucked in. Scary, worth a look. I don't think it was as scary as Conjuring or Hereditary. Jump scares? Did it rely much on jump scares? Some more in the background sort of stuff, you know, like a person doing something and then you can see, like, the demon guy in the back. Well, that's the <laughs> tick for me. If it does that sort of stuff, I like that. Mm. Creepier than just shocking around corners and jumping out of closets stuff. Jump scares don't do it for me. It's a bit of a slow burn, but the twist was really good. Home movies are really creepy now. You know, like the old film going, shh, yeah. can't come up with grainy footage and, you know, you see, what was that? He rewinds and in the yeah, background you can see You're right. the, Scary guy there. Must be good acting. Ethan Hawke's quality actor. That's a yeah, pretty he was good, good cast for a horror movie. Not scary for this cat, that's for sure. Yeah, but you have claimed to be unscarable. Is there no grannies scuttling on ceilings? No, there was none of that. There was uh, creaking trees. What would you give that out of 10, bro? Seven, but I think the twist at the end brings it up to an eight, I'm sure. So sinister, eight out of 10. Yep. So what, are, what have you got, Dan? I am going to go a little bit different sort of track. There's a lot of noise around this movie. It's uh, Terrifier 2. People were apparently passing out, needing to be taken out of the cinema in wheelchairs, heart like problems. leaving, yeah. yeah, heart palpitations, vomiting. You know, a friend of mine who saw it said he had to, his friend texted him, can you come to the toilet with me? So I was like, I've got to go see it. Whenever there's an experience like that, like I remember with Blair Witch and Seven, some of these movies, Avatar, it was like, you got to see it on the big screen. It, it's kind of an event. So mm-hmm. whenever I hear that, I make an effort to go and see it. And it wasn't playing anywhere down here in Secret Harbour, Rockingham, Mandra. So I had to go all the way to Inaloo, and it was a late session. So I, I rustled up two of my mates for, from school, 
Shout out to Jeb and Josh. Got back together as the old threesome and went to Inaloo. Hats off to that place. Jesus, that, that's a, not a bad complex out there. The old uh, Inaloo complex. I used to go there a lot when I was in Perth, but I haven't been for years, and it's good. Good experience. Did you go to, like, a big widescreen or gold? Yeah, or? massive screen. And I went online and booked. They've got a good thing now where you can book a seat and then tell you, you'd send the link to your friends, and they can p- pay for their seat right next to you. So I got lounge seats, and they were only, like, $26 for these full recliners with, like, mm. leg kick-up and... They were really good. And it was packed. Like, I noticed these, these the seats were going fast, busy. So I was like, this is cool. People are making the effort to go and see this movie. And it's a full, it's it's like gore. It's known for gore horror. Like, it's full-on gore. But I was interested to see it because of all this uh, talk. It centers around Art the Clown. Okay, so we've all, you know, Pennywise the Clown in It. And put clowns on the map for being a bit evil. Well, actually, probably... Um, John Wayne Gacy probably did it. Yes. John Wayne Gacy, thanks, bro. It was uh, the one who actually did it. It was done well with Pennywise. And I always like horror movies. The characters got something different. You know, Freddy got you in your dreams. His knife hands, we've already talked about him. Jason and Michael Myers, just the slow walk. Never unstoppable, ran. Unstoppable, but never ran. That, that was a good, big thing. Pennywise, just eerily creepy and in situations you know only seen by the people he was taunting and in like not otherwise nice scenes this horrible clown so this art the clown yeah what's his had his own thing yeah he had a really good gig and it worked for me and it was a massive tick so he first appeared in a low budget short film it was an anthology film all hallows eve we know about hallows eve because we looked at that was the originally um the irish Halloween's where it came from 2013 and he was played by Mike Giannelli uh, I haven't seen that but then they got a new guy David Howard Thornton and he's the one in Terrifier and Terrifier 2 um, so it'd be interesting to s- compare the two because you know, Art the Clown in Terrifier and Terrifier 2 is very similar I went back and saw Terrifier after Terrifier 2 just to see if I could get some backstory didn't really but so it doesn't matter if you watch them out of order no jump in and watch Terrifier 2 first actually but it was really really well done but art the clown his his gig is he's like a silent clown you know like a mime I saw my he, he wears these big big black clown shoes so he doesn't run either but a lot of the bad guys that we've been used to they don't have any emotion but he shows a lot of emotion on his face but he doesn't say anything so even when he gets hurt he'll scream like in mime He'll scream, but no sound. Like he'll slash someone with a scalpel, cut their throat open, and then he'll do like the full-on laugh, you know, like we used to do to each other, you know, behind mm-hmm. mum's back. We'd laugh and with the finger up and down and the open mouth, but no sound coming out. And he'd do the crying eyes with the fists in the eyes, you know, like, oh, you poor thing. And he's just, you know, he's maimed them. They're about to die. So he'll do all this horrible sort of miming Emotion. Was there noise going on the whole time? Was it just quiet, like a silent movie? No, there is noise. It's got all the sound effects and the actors in it talk, but he never does. He never does. The music's good. It works really, really well. But, you know, he'll be screaming silently. He's kind of very patient, but expressive, and his costume is creepy. As I say, he's got these big black shoes, and he's just a black and white clown, kind of Marcel Marceau-ish, but with this really ugly little hood white hood that covers mm. his half his face and a big nose I've seen a picture and he's got these horrible black eyes and bloody teeth and really bad teeth and he's often just covered in blood because he's a full slasher killer 
Like he enjoys not quite killing his victims, taking him to the brink and then just absolutely torturing them. It's definitely not for the faint-hearted. The family in it, in Terrifier 2, the acting's really, really good. Like, I've never seen a more realistic mum. She loses her shit at her kids, realistically, her teenage children. The boy in it is really good, and the girl, like a family of three, single mum with two kids. It's set all around Halloween, so he, you know, blends in. Everyone thinks he's just some guy dressed up. And he's got his bag of his chosen weapons, which is just like an old garbage bag. And he's got chains and all these horrible weapons in there. Weapon of choice, he's got this cat of nine tails whip that's got scalpels like surgical scalpels and scissors surgical scissors on the end of this whip chain whip and he just whips people with it when they're down and out and just flays the skin off their back and just yeah he is nasty and there's a lot of good scenes where you'll just see him up against a wall and he'll just be looking and then he'll he'll be looking evil and then he'll just break into a like a clown smile and wave there's some really funny moments where you, the people don't get that he's a complete killer. One scene where these kids come to... He's gone into someone's house and killed them all. The kids come to the door and he holds out, like, this head full of candy and they think it's... <laughs> I think it's really good makeup, but it's actually this lady's head that he's cut off and filled with sweets. And there's a few little hat tips and odes to other films. You can tell creator Damien Leon, an American guy, is a big fan of horror. Does he have a uh, backstory? Yeah, they, and they bring that in during Terrifier 2. They kind of talk about the main character's dad started drawing pictures of his daughter, dreamt of her being the one that could defeat this the art, the clown. They live in Miles County, and there was this Miles County massacre Mm-hmm. The year before on Halloween, the Art the Clown did. And so everyone's dressing up as Art the Clown that Halloween. So that also adds a bit of confusion because everyone, he's become this like dreaded boogeyman. And it was actually quite embarrassing because I was sitting there next to my friend Josh and my son Austin had gone as Jeffrey Dahmer Halloween just before. And the son comes out dressed as Art the Clown. And the sister's like, you can't wear that. That's so disrespectful. And the mum says, yeah, what's next? You're going to dress as Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm. So Josh and I look at each other and go, ugh. <laughs> But my theory was that we're not in Milwaukee. There's no one going to be opening the door to my son who's going to be offended by Jeffrey Dahmer, I don't think. No That's right. You wouldn't do it in away. Milwaukee. There was that backstory. The dad had a brain tumour and started drawing these weird sketches. So the girl fashioned this Halloween costume from the dad's drawings and she ends up being the kind of warrior woman that tackles him. He's kind of weird. It goes supernatural in a weird way. It's Some people might not like that. It goes away from being, like, he gets attacked by her and others and just seems to brush it off. He can just brush off death, it appears. He's kind of indestructible. It's a really creepy bit about this, the sole survivor from the Miles County Massacre, who's this uh, lady who he ate her face off, so she's horribly disfigured. He likes so beat a good her side. Yeah, he sits and eats. Like There's a, there's a scene in, in the movie where the boy, the main character, wakes up and Art the Clown's just chewing on his finger or his toe or something just eating it so he's really horrendous the ultimate scene in it is in this bedroom and this girl's just cut to pieces and the mum comes in and she kind of wakes up and goes mommy and he's just playing with her it's quite horrific it's full-on horror they don't hold back at all it's quite realistic and for me i like it in horror movies when the victim's dead and it's like okay done but 
in this one, they tend to live a little bit longer than you'd want them to and go through a bit more than they should have to, which is kind of hard to watch. But as long as you go in there with a bit of an open mind that it's just gore and no one's hurt, it's a pretty fun ride, really. It's quite full on. And, you know, it's really well acted and the, the main character's worth checking out, Art the Clown. He's quite the villain. I don't think... So did anyone get him. taken out of the cinema with an ambulance? It was weird. I've never seen so many people coming and going. I think people were struggling with it a bit. A lot of people were getting up and walking out and then walking back in. His signature weapons were scalpel, hacksaw, cleaver, and as I said, the cat and nine tails. And how could I forget? He actually had a little, in his head, he's got this little um, sidekick, one of his victims, a little girl, and she's unbelievable. She's really scary, horrific, and there's a scene in the laundromat, which is just, you have to see to believe. And like Marvel movies, it has post-credit scenes, so don't leave Terrifier too early. You kind of might want to, though. I've never seen a, a more disturbing scene than the post-credit scene in Terrifier 2. I find myself waiting around for the credits for all movies now, like I was there the other day going, mm, wait, there's no... <laughs> She's really cool, this little girl in it. She almost steals the show. So Art the Clown and his little sidekick, fantastic horror duo. Thumbs up from me. I would give it a solid for horror movie. As I said, the acting was strong. If you can accept that it's a full gore fest, I'd be giving it an eight and a half out of ten. We'll probably hear more of his backstory. It's left that up for a prequel style. Just a new iconic horror character, which are not easy to create. Mm. Stood away from horror for a while. As a parent, you tend to lose interest a bit in that sort of stuff. When something tickles our fancy, we've got to go and check it out. Black Phone is another one I would like to look out. Okay, I'm going to have to look out for that one. We're going to roll the arm over and head into top five all-time sporting Australian moments. Mount Rushmore together with Sports Alert. Have a think what your top five all-time would be and see if you cross over with Marts and I. We haven't discussed, so we'll see where we cross over to. I'm sure there'll be a couple. it has got to be a few, doesn't there? Some epic moments. Ladies and gentlemen, this is... Sports Alert! Sports Alert! Sports Alert! All right, bro, we have jogged out onto the ground and we're going to start kicking some goals with our Mount Rushmore of all-time greatest Australian sporting moments. Can't believe we actually haven't touched on this before. We, I guess we have touched on it, but we've never actually gone full-blown into it. Top five. Yeah, I'm just warming up down there. Like, I'm, I'm stretching. And uh, I'm ready to give 100%, Dan. Like, I've been training for this. There's a smell of liniment, deep heat in the air. Well, I tell you, bro, I've got mine down to a tight five. Tight five like a rugby scrum. What, what have you managed to whittle yours down to? You're notoriously bad at getting it down to a five on your Mount Rushmore. You've got, like, your special mentions list is normally seven yeah, or eight I, long. I've got, you- it, I've got it down to 11, which is, I think, pretty. <laughs> there we go. I know what you're going to have. I can almost guess what you have. So uh, I've got some different ones. I know whether I should go from my number 11 and then we move right up to five. Oh, my God. So I have to sit out for six until I can start joining the party. My number 11, which is almost a future prediction, is that Dockers make a grand final. It will be a huge moment in Australian sport when these guys finally get a cup to put into the trophy cabinet down. Hang on, bro. Hang on. So you're saying that 
one of the greatest ever Australian sporting moments is when the Dockers win a grand final. <laughs> yes. So not um, only have they not done it, but that's not even an Australian sporting moment. I, you know, that's that's AFL. Come on, we don't even have a national. This is the and most it hasn't crazy even happened part yet. So that that should be number one hundred and eleven. Graceful. Move on. Footnote here where Australia just got knocked out of the World Cup and you were saying that's one of our greatest moments in sport, that they didn't make the quarterfinals. I was just up for you, Dan, for like just not even wanting to stand up and just watch it. Couldn't get up early and see us play. I I saw a thing today. It's talkers are played by by far the most people in Australia. We've won the World Cup of Rugby. We've won the World Cup of Cricket. We've pretty much won every sports World Cup except soccer. And we've got the most players. So why do we keep acting like they're doing such a great job by making, you know, it past the first round of knockout? Like, I don't get it. I think we give them too much leeway, these guys. I get that it's European and South American sport. And they did great. Don't get me wrong. But let's not get ahead of ourselves and say it's the greatest Australian moment ever. The fans are as bad as the players, taking dives all the time. Like, oh, we did so well. Let's set some fireworks off and burn each other with flares. Arsehole. Wow. Wow. I did not expect that from you. I mean, 16 years since uh, we made the second group. you got better things to do, I guess. It's the most played sport in Australia. Why do we act like it's good enough just to make not even the quarters? If they'd beaten Argentina... Okay. Hold on a second. Stood up and taken notice. Football, English football, is, is the most played sport in Australia. Is that, is that what your stat was? Correct. More people play soccer than any other team sport. Never knew that. Why are we so crap then? Exactly. I, I, I just point. like AFL dominated. No, it doesn't. We celebrate mediocrity with soccer and it goes right down to just the performance you, you mustn't enjoy watching those guys take dives it's, oh, it's i'm up there just watching like oh keep me awake please man like, yeah and it goes too long and then there's extra time when it's already gone long enough i enjoy the penalty shootouts i should just make it a penalty shootout and then we all go <laughs> from the start the penalty shootout. <laughs> from the start no. yeah. anyway i digress we've got 11 10 more to get through of yours only so we better move on okay Steve Bradbury's moment. Yeah. Steve Bradbury, like, yeah. did really well to make it as far as he could. Speed skating. He knew what was going on, and he made it an amazing moment, not just for Australia, but for the whole world. Hang back, watch out, bam, come through and win. He must get tired of being asked, how, how does it feel winning that, you know, when you weren't the best? Steve Bradbury, number Kate 10. <laughs> I've actually heard him talk about it, and I don't, I don't think he's sick of it. He likes it. He totally has embraced it, and I think that's why, you know, we, he's coined a phrase. You know you've done well when you've coined a phrase. You know, he's done it, gone and done a Bradbury. Mm. Like, it's great. I think that's underrated, his performance, because everyone forgets that he got into the final of a speed skating ice sport. To get into the final of that thing was hard. As an Australian as well. How much yes, ice do we like, have? obviously, as an Australian. It's, it's amazing. So, you know, any Winter Olympic gold medal should be celebrated double. He won the gold. Well yeah. done, Steve Bradbury. Great Australian yeah, moment. Bam, Dan. I'm, I'm glad he's in your hefty mention list. <laughs> our, our thing was this. We had to be alive, right? You had to be alive. Yeah, definitely. Australian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Australian moment. Well, I was alive yeah. for this one, but you weren't. Oh, wow. This was is this to do with Cook? Because that's not sport. Back First to the Olympics. Not sport, bro. And it was in, the Olympics were held in Germany. The Nazis are big time. Here's 
Hitler thought it's a great idea, let's have the Olympics here. And everyone was like going, well, this guy's dodged, but no one knew what to do really. And he was completely against African-Americans and black people. Anyway, they were still the fastest people in the world. 200 metre, Carlos won gold, Smith won silver, and they're, they're both black fellas. Peter Norman oh. on the podium in third place. Oh, wow. Okay. When they did the salute. Exactly. Did they do the fist salute? Yeah. Yeah, the Black Panthers. Yeah, salute. I was surprised by this as well. I didn't know that. And there was an Aussie took out the bronze. He took out the bronze. and uh, That's cool. Peter Norman wouldn't have done the salute. Peter Norman didn't do it? No. Yeah, that's it. iconic, that image. Right in front of Hitler. Hitler probably hoped they were doing the high Hitler and then it turned into a Black Panther fist pump. When he eventually died, you know, he was quite famous for uh, supporting those guys. Those athletes came back and were pallbearers for his funeral. Wow. So, like, he was a big thing for Black Africa. And for Australia. Nah, they're all good ones, bro. Well, I'm going to go, my number five is obvious, and everyone would have this, I think, in their top five, unless they were weird. Away, Freeman out well, a mighty roar surrounds the stadium. Hogan Boyer wide sailing, Freeman... They're holding their stagger early. Graham's gone out strongly in the back straight. She's in the middle. So down the back, Cathy, three from the left. Graham's gone out really hard to Guevara. Freeman going strongly up to almost halfway. She's three from the top. You can see Graham inside of her, probably in front. Mary's having a good run. This is where Cathy exploded in Atlanta. Graham's in front of her. Freeman's got work to do here. There's about 150 to go. Guevara and Mary are right up. It's going to be a big finish. Into the straight, Graham leads. Freeman runs up to her, Mary inside, Kathy lifting, goes up to Graham, takes the lead, looks a winner, draws away from Graham and Mary. This is a famous victory, a magnificent performance. What a legend, what a champion. Kathy Freeman, 400 metres, 2000 Olympics, Stadium Australia in Sydney, 110,000 people. In an amazing new uh, running suit. Ridiculous pressure on her. We had that whole French girl fiasco beforehand, like she left. Stiff competition. There's, you know, seven other girls there that could win the thing. 400 metre race, like it's a hell on earth, that race. She just was amazing. And, and her reaction afterwards was incredible. I've spoken about this race in detail in a previous episode in season one. I remember, I think I've mentioned it, we were in surgery. I was working as an orderly and we all left the patient on the table and went and watched it in the tea room. Guts hanging um, out all the, over the place. When I picked this list, I picked things that just sort of changed my life in a way, made me just so happy, cemented me as a ridiculous Australian sports fan, and that, and that was one of them. Do you know where I had that one? Oh, I reckon you might have had it top three. Number one. I had number it. One, bro. Number one, bro. It's so important. It was so amazing. An Aboriginal woman. Yes. To do what she yeah. did. Yeah, there's no great Aussie moment, Dan. But when we come to my number one, we've got that already. Yeah, I'm not sure why I had it five. It's our choices and yeah. you know, subjective. All right, well, what did you have for number five? For number five, I had the West Coast Eagles winning their first premiership. <laughs> Don't laugh, man. That was an important event for Australia. In 95 years, the Premiership pennant has never left Victoria. In just a few short hours, history might be made. 12, 13, 85, West Coast 16, 17, 113. Back in the middle once more. Just over a minute remaining. Brownless and McIntosh. McIntosh has been superb today in defence. Eagles players and supporters right around the country preparing to celebrate the history-making day. The Eagles breaking the ice 
in the AFL and doing it in style. Barnes flicking it in towards half forward, but Lamb is there to tidy up. Off to his skipper, John Worsfold. The chant of the Eagles in the background. Brett Hetty away from Merriman. Ablett is there to apply pressure as well. Hetty still going. Farms it wider to Kemp. Dean Kemp having his 20th kick. Pike and Worsfold again combined. Into the middle. It's a game of possession now with only seconds remaining. Evans may have the last kick in this grand final. The Eagles are going to win their first play. Oh, well, actually, yes. Okay, fair enough. I shouldn't laugh. You're right. It, it is an iconic moment in Australian sport. It changed the whole landscape of AFL, the most popular sport in Australia. After soccer, we've just discussed that. Ah, uh, that's bullcrap, I'm sure. It's not. <laughs> I'd like to see that stat somewhere, but like... Maybe more people watch it, but more people play soccer. But the day that West Coast Eagles beat Geelong, AFL became AFL. Peter Matera ran along that wing and he bombed in three goals from the wing yeah. like put the cats away for the first time the game become a truly national game everyone knows out there that i'm a crazy west coast eagles fan so suck it i'm gonna have it in my freaking top five no i i was initially i was laughing because i thought that's ridiculous no non-eagle is gonna uh think that that's even close but you're right it was iconic in that it was the first time the Cup went interstate. I'll give you that one. All right, number four for me. I remember this. I was about 10. 1987, the hallowed grass courts of Wimbledon. And he's done it. Pat Cash is the new champion. Patrick Cash. Boris Becker was the two-time Wimbledon defending champion and expected to win, but 22-year-old Pat won the men's singles championship in straight sets against Ivan Lendl. He won 7-6, 6-2, 7-5. I loved that. I've I've always loved watching Australians win Grand Slams, and of course I could easily have had Ash Barty up there because I followed her greatly and she was amazing. But the first time that I was a part of supporting someone to win a Grand Slam was Pat Cash. You know, he was playing some tough, yeah, like Becker, Lendl, Edberg, Villander, the list goes on and on. Some really big names in tennis to win at Wimbledon. Van Lendl never did. I think he made the final about eight times, so to beat him, when it was kind of his time. Good on you, Pat. With the serve volley game, the checkered black and white headband, Aussie butcher Pat, hung like a rogue elephant apparently. Brilliant. Brought the uh, Wimbledon Cup back and it had been a while, I think, since yeah, we won Pat it. Cash so, was yep. awesome. An awesome. Exciting player. guy to watch. The serve volley game. You know, it's the best. Did you ever win the Australian? Nah, never won anything. That was it. That's the one He went deep into Australian few times he never quite manage it pearl pat rafter lost to wimbledon in the final that was heartbreaking he deserved one but he never got one and of course little leighton he could easily be on my list because he won when he shouldn't have never gave up and ash party as i said amazing year last year when she won the australian and wimbledon and then the french what's your number four bro my number four okay get set for this dan because i know this will be in yours somewhere the kick that john eels made to win the Bladderslow in 2000. Nobody, I'm pretty sure, thought calling him. With time up on the clock, the fate of the Bledisloe Cup would come down to a last penalty shot at goal. The problem for the Australians was their goal kicker was off the field. We got the penalty and I thought, wow, this is fantastic. Where's Sterling? And I look around and, yeah, Sterling's not there. And Jeremy Paul it was, came up to me and said, mate, 
Sterling's off, it's your kick. So all of a sudden you change from being really excited about it to being you know, a bit anxious about it. But, but still, look, as a player, they're the moments you train for. They're the moments as, as a kid in the backyard. You, I kicked 100 of those as a kid in the backyard trying to win a test for Australia. This kick will decide the I'm very, very glad it went over because I think my life and people's memories of me as a rugby player would have been very different if I had missed that kick. Would have been, oh, you're the bloke that missed that kick in that, uh, the cost of Sabletters like up in the Tri-Nations, aren't you? Anyway, I don't show why he went for the kick. Give me, yeah. Throw me a bone here. I know you know everything uh, about this. It was in Wellington, the game you're referring to, and we'd lost the first game. It was a... Best of two Bledisloe series as part of the Tri-Nations as well. And we held for once. We actually had the cup, so we only had to win one. We went to a Stadium Australia again where Cathy won in 2000 to play the All Blacks in the first game. And they pantsed us 21-0. After five minutes, they were up 21-0. Three tries to nothing. Game over. Disaster. But then Stevie Larkham, Sterling Mortlock. Uh, I get shivers on Stevie Larkham and his uh, helmet. Larkham. So we finally scored and we we made it a double midway through the first half. Chris Latham and Joe Roth both cross over. We score four in a row. Somehow we even the scores before half time and then take a 27-24 lead into the second half after going down 21-0 in five minutes. All Blacks regain the lead after a great Solo run by Justin Marshall, but then Australia... Is Jonah Lomu playing in this game? Yes. It looks like we've won because Jeremy Paul barges over with three minutes to go. So we're up 35-34, but then Jonah Lomu Mm -hmm. in the 83rd minute. Tane Randall passes this crazy pass to him and he scores in the corner. He does the New Zealand sidestep. He sure does. Yeah, ask Mike Cat from England. But they won 35-29. It was at Stadium Australia, 110,000 people. One of, they call it the game of the century. Where do you have this one, Dan? This is number three for me. You've nailed it. I, I actually had it as the series. The whole series was incredible, the Tri-Nation series. You've got Gordon Bray, Simon Poitivan, and Chris Handy, go you good thing, commentating. Right. Uh, that was the golden era of rugby, those guys commentating. So we go down in the first game and, you know, it looked like a disaster. We're down three n- tries to nil in five minutes. It was unbelievable. Yeah, Come and back, the All Blacks are lose. dominant and just amazingly, yeah. ridiculously strong team that no one could beat. Oh, you had Lomu, Cullen, Umanga, Cronfeld, Mertens, Marshall, yeah. like big names in New Zealand. This but we had Eels, Gregan, Little, Roth, George Smith, Owen Finnegan, Sterling Mortlock, Larkham, David Wilson, who I loved as a flanker, Totai Kefu, remember him? Mm-hmm. And that crazy fullback, Chris Latham, who's skinny, looked like a maths teacher, but he just used to go hard. So I haven't even mentioned the second game that you're talking about. So to me, that first game was unbelievable. Like it was incredible so we were still in with a chance we had to go to wellington though to draw the series with them and then we would retain the bledisloe and that doesn't happen very often that we go over there and win no it came down to the wire johnny was you know there's a penalty right in front sterling mortlock got injured so there was no kicker so he's a normal kick johnny sterling was, mortlock's a normal kick. this is yeah why, why nobody has to stand up penalty on full time you can't just pull someone off the bench johnny Hills goes get sterling we're kicking and then they're like, ah, John, <laughs> he's off. He's like, oh, okay. And he didn't hesitate. He didn't think of anyone else. He stepped up, 
placed the ball down, kicked it over for a famous 24-23 win, and we retained the Bledisloe, and we were crowned Tri-Nations champion. Again, the next week, the Wallabies win in a last minute against the Springboks, and we win the Tri-Nations and the Bledisloe. Just insane. The well, best what series. What year was that, Dan? 2000, like you said. Yeah, the 2000 Bledisloe and Tri-Nations series. So the same bloody year as Cathy Freeman at the same stadium. That Stadium Australia was where the first game was. We lost 29-35, and then we won 24-23 in Wellington, 2000. That was a good year, 2000. That was a good, good year to be Yeah, and the rugby was fantastic. I watched this with my son, just to refresh my memory, and he was like, Dad, is this highlights? Is this just a highlights package? He watches me watch these other games, and they're so slow and stilted and terrible compared to how it used to be. It was just flowing, fast rugby. The referees were better. They let it run. There was no TMOs. They didn't call back tries and make them no tries because there was an incident six phases before. Rugby's dying, and you just need to go back, look at games in 2000 to see how terribly badly rugby's going. It used to be a spectacle. Now it's just the most boring. I can't watch it. I watch the minis, the 30-minute minis, because I can't stand spending eight hours of my life watching reset scrums and yeah, penalties. I watched the England Wallabies game at uh, the stadium, and uh, it was just so depressing. Special mention, though, to the 1994 one-off Bledisloe Cup. It was one game for the Cup, and I was there. Me and Josh Gargett, it was All Blacks. Uh, versus the Wallabies, of course. You might remember that famous George Gregan tackle on Jeff Wilson in the corner. They were going to score. It had gone about five minutes past the 80 full-time. Wilson's flying down the wing to score the winning try for the All Blacks. We're right there, me and Josh, and we're like, oh, shit. And then Gregan, little Georgie Gregan, the halfback, literally supermans across the corner like Corabetti did the other day and smashes Wilson into touch, and we win 24-23. It was incredible. Pipped. For mine, by that 2000 series, we won the Tri-Nations at Bledisloe. Host of brilliant rugby players and just such good competition between the two sides. Dan and I are massive rugby union fans and uh, that's that's pretty close to our hearts. So you probably fell asleep a long time ago if you weren't a fan. We love rugby union and we wanted to come back. We wanted to back to its own glory, don't we, Dan? Do yourself a favour. Get onto YouTube and Google the 2000 Bledisloe Tri-Nation Series. Oh, do you want to hear my number three? That was my number three. Yep, let's hear your number Go three. back to Atlanta, 1996, right? you got to think about this young guy. He's swimming the... 1500. 1500. He tried to qualify. He just scraped in, and so he got, like, out of lane on the 1500 at Atlanta. No one gave him a chance. It was a long race, you know, 1,500 metres. You know, how many times is it up and down the pool, Dan? 30 laps. 50 metre pool? Meters. Yeah, that's a lot to race. For some reason, his lane was a shit lane right at the back. Uh, I'm pretty sure you just told us the reason. He was shit qualifying. There, you know, he only just scraped in, but Kieran Perkins, it was truly inspiring. With Kieran Perkins, stand and salute Australia. As I said earlier, the great moments in sport come when they're least expected. That's what makes them great. And we're seeing one now. Something out of the box. A great Australian is swimming away from this field. He was down and out yesterday, and suddenly he stood up. He wants to be counted. He's talking goals. Back with 50. One of the great swims of all time. Kieran Perkins, forget the time. This is all about courage. You are seeing the best of the best. 
You are a superstar, Kieran Kurgan. Play for the moment, Australia. About 15 metres to swim. This is rare goal. Best kind of goal. Perkins goes in first. What a great win. You're watching the race, you know, and then he's got no chance, and then he slowly comes back, slowly comes back, but then he uh, he wins, Dan. Was it Bruce McAvaney calling this or, or Dennis? Kieran, no chance. Comes through. Gold, 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 Australia. So he only just snuck into the heats. He only just qualified. It was the beginning of Australia's 1500 dominance because then I think Grant yeah. Hackett went in and he was really good as well. Okay, that's yeah. my number three. All right, well, I'll jump in with my number two. This could also be your number two. The race of the century, bro. The race of the century, this one. America's Cup. Correct. September 1983, match race. Won by Australia 2 in the first successful challenge of the New York Yuck Club's 132-year defence of the Cup. No one Just else had ever won. 132 years. It they laughed at people. And do you know who the challenging Yacht Club was, bro? Fremantle. Royal Perth Yacht Club. Royal Perth. I actually celebrated New Year's Eve in 2000 after the Kathy Freeman Wallabies sensation. Just finish off the year with a little New Year's Eve down at Royal Perth. You know, this story is shrouded in Perth glory as well. All set in and around where we were and growing up. John Longley's brother, Jeremy, who's now a pedophile in prison, was my year five teacher. Constantly, he was like bringing in memorabilia and like he was talking all about it because his brother was on the boat that won. Here's your cast of characters. You've got Ben Lexon, the quirky, crazy inventor, barefoot inventor, who died not long after they won, actually. Really? But, I know, didn't know They that. all thought he was nuts, but he came up with a wing keel, which was the incredibly important piece of the puzzle. Alan Bond. They came down from Megathara in a burnout blue FJ. That farted and just shit itself in Jutland Parade. Right next door to Bondy's. Good day, Mr. Alan Bond. How you going, bloke? The guy who floated the deal. WA's rich guy. Big fat businessman. It's like the cast of Jaws, really. He might as well have worn an anchor suit. Although that was Bob Hawke's job. Prime Minister was right behind these guys. When they won, yeah, like, I don't know whether he was behind them the whole time. No, bro. No. I'll pick you up on that because he actually it started off quite badly. They were down in the best of seven. Oh, really? And then they won series. the next seven. I'll talk through the wins in a minute. But they were down and out. They'd been racing brilliantly in the lead up to make it to the final to challenge the Americans. But then stuff started breaking on their boat and shit just was going, you know, it was quite suspicious to be honest. But they got a letter from the Prime Minister and he's saying, look, we're all proud of you. We're stoked to have you out there competing for us. Give it your best. Good luck. You know, not, oh, you better fucking win. He was just saying, good on I you, no matter jacket, what, you come you back. better fucking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this jacket with anchors on it. No, he had that green and gold one, didn't he? The little map of Australia. Yeah, he got behind them and then they won and he was at, he was at Royal Perth Yacht Club. I don't know if you know that. That footage is at Royal Perth. Any boss who sacks a worker for not turning up today is a bum. Yeah, then you've got, of course, the bad guy, Dennis Connor, who's just like the best sailor in the world, versus John Bertram, whose story is incredible. He's like a brilliant sailor as well. But Dennis had beaten John Bertram in the last three America's Cups. He'd knocked him off. So no one could so beat Bertram, Dennis. No one could beat Dennis. He was unbeatable. He was, was so into sailing. America flag or... Liberty. So the US yacht won the first and second races by margins of more than a minute. Australia 2, which was our boat, had equipment failure. But then we took the third race and came back to win the fifth and sixth after Liberty won the fourth. So it was the first time the America's Cup had needed a sixth race, let alone a seventh. 
So it had never gone to six. And then it went to seven, which was never needed in the history of the Cup. 26th of September, 1983. The wind's light. Eight knots. Really. Suddenly the world started taking notice. I don't think anyone even heard of the fucking America's Cup until this happened. I, I reckon I was about year nine. Melissa famously made like a sheet that said, Where with you, Australia, too. And training out of Fremantle. They built it all in Fremantle, done down in a warehouse in Frio. Mm. And they trained up and down the coast. The 12 metre was out the front of our house training. They were training out the front of be, Dutch Inn. already over there, though. Nah. They trained and then they shipped the sucker over. Bondi paid to get it shipped over. And they had to win all these build-up races to even have a crack. And they thrashed everyone in the build-up events. And that's when people started paying attention. But uh, Melissa was behind them. We'll talk to her about it. I made that freaking banner. Yeah, exactly. You should know. It was Where With You, Australia too. I remember exactly. So anyway, they get to this seventh race, right? Liberty won the start by eight seconds ahead of Australia too. There's a good documentary on it called The Race of the Century, but they, the Americans did everything they could. They cheated. They tried to say we were cheating. They tried to get the keel changed. They got their ship taken out of the water and all. they stripped it to make it lighter, which is pretty much illegal. Anyway, they shot ahead of Australia too and looked like they had an unassailable lead. They were thrashing us. On the second last or the penultimate leg, it looked like they would win the cup, which would have been so sad. But Connor stuffed it. He didn't cover Australia 2. So Australia 2 went deeper and faster and got this breeze. John Bertram just went out wide and got the breeze. Australia 2 is wheeling around the mark now. And uh, a great flurry of boards goes up. Liberty Spinnaker goes down now. And the crew aboard that start to haul that Spinnaker into the cockpit. It is Australia 2 out in front. We have a lead here of 21, 22 seconds. That makes it very, very close. boys. approaching that line and the one that is in front the one that is closest to the finish line bears the sail numbers ka6 they are of course the sails and the numbers of australia 2 and they appear to have a comfortable lead at this late stage and i don't want to put too blunt a point on it but liberty looks about to become the boat that lost the America's Cup, because Australia too is inching closer and closer to the committee vessel now, and the excitement builds as Australia too is about to write itself into the forefront of history. It will write a chapter like no Australian sportsman or sportswoman or sports team has written before. It's going to be Australia too. They are going to win it. Stand up, Australia! Australia and give these boys a cheer. We are looking for the smoke at any moment. They're about to do it. They're about to cross the line. They make a final move. America! Australia 2 has done it. They have won the America's Cup. They have done it. 
41 seconds they won by, a bit of a thrashing in the end. And as I said, 132 years, first ever time they'd been beaten. Yeah, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning in Australia, but it was a massive event. It gutted them, basically, you know, it was... A- yeah, and poor old Dennis had to face the media, and the old stuffy pricks from the um, New York Yacht Club wouldn't even stand next to him. They'd vanished into the woodwork. Pricks. So it was a classic good guy, bad guy story. These little upstart Australians, they were fit as fiddles, handsome blokes running around Newport. Like, everyone was like, who are these guys? And then more and more Australians started to pour into Newport and just run amok. It became like a party town, and the pressure on this poor guy, Connor, you know, had this great lead, thought he was going to win it, then the Aussie came back it's just a brilliant story and you've got to check out this doco race of the century because the characters in this you couldn't write a better script and then of course alan bond stands on the pier and finally you know waves his hands up in the air and they lift australia two out of the water and so the keel sees this amazing winged keel they had to fully hide it from the americans they were trying to you know, send divers in and work out what the hell was going on under the water. So there was all this espionage and cheating going on. The Americans just were refusing to lose. But against all odds, the Aussies won. They did us proud. Number two for me, bro, but could easily be number one. It's my number two as well. Not surprisingly. Bill. You got any more? Honourable mention before I jump into my number one. I got Warney's ball of the century. First ball. Now what's happened? Mike Gadding staying there. The... Bale is off. He's bowled him. Gatting can't believe it. Dickie Bird, I suppose, can believe it. First ball, lethal. Yeah. Warning. A ruffian comes in and uh, against England, against Mike Gatting. And it's his first ball. He drops one at the leg side and it spins back. Gatting just leaves it, but just takes off the stumps. And Mike Gatting is completely bemused by it. He shakes his head and uh, walks off. But they call it the ball of the century. It wasn't his first ball in test cricket, but it was his first Ashes delivery. Yeah, Mike Gatting wasn't a dud. He knew what he was doing and um, he was completely bamboozled. By uh, the master, mm. and uh, that shame one went on from there and became the best bowler, yeah, ever. Fizzing leg breaks, yeah, brilliant. you got to have him up there somewhere. What a life, what a cricketer. Well, as you said earlier that, you know, it's our time, so you could go back to the bowls around during Bradman's batting and the body line, that was pretty iconic Australian moment, wasn't it? The Aussies standing up to the palms. Body line, yeah. Um, But I'm going to go, my number one, I mean, I love cricket and I love the Ashes. I was so happy to be alive to watch Mitchell Johnson tear through the English in the 2013-14 Ashes Carnage. This is your number one. Left arm quick. Yep, I loved it. Okay. 2013-14, summer. Johnson was under the pump. He got dropped from the squad on the 2013 tour during the tour he got dropped we lost 3-0 he was dangerous but wayward he was told look we'll give you another chance but you have to control your direction because you're all over the shop mm-hmm. it was embarrassing remember he'd bowl and they'd go down to the site for four yeah and he went and saw dennis lily lily drilled into johnson the single word tough t-u-f-f acronym standing for target stand up front arm follow through tough but he said to lily look i don't want to bowl if i can't bowl fast so i'm not slowing down Sorry, I'm either a fast bowler or I'm no bowler. Kept bowling fast. He took 37 wickets, an average of 13.97. Named player of the series. Australia whitewashed England 5-0. Regained the Ashes for the first time since 2006. He just destroyed them. Knocks him over with pace. Real pace. Right through the England captain. What a start for the Aussies. And an edge. Hatton's got him. Matt Pryor's going to have to go. Mitchell Johnson's on fire. In comes Mitchell Johnson now. Oh, 
and the Australian captain, Mitch Johnson's got five. He ruined a few careers. Jonathan Trott just couldn't handle him. They were terrified. They were actually scared. He also actually made 165 runs at 27.5. Yeah, it wasn't a bad batter. Whenever, whenever John bowled well, he batted well. Perth guy around my age, he was just amazing. Test one, four for 64 at the Gabba. Five for 42, second innings. And then second test, seven for 40. England all out for 172. Perth followed, six wickets there. Eight scalps in Melbourne, six more in Sydney. He just dominated. And he had that mo. He had the lily mo. And it was just, oh, it's a summer I'll never forget. We won 5 0. England were rattled. It was just so enjoyable to see them hopping around and just getting completely smashed. Johnson just, his first spell of the summer, just, it was all over. England were just terrified. He didn't have like a huge career, did he? But he just peaked out. I heard something recently like saying fast bowlers have their absolute peak where they're bowling 145, 150 for two or three years and then they just have to change their style and bowl more accurate or whatever. But. And he didn't want that. He was lucky enough to get just enough direction just in time because you've got that balance between being a wild thing and having control and a bit more maturity. And yeah, you're right. There's that purple window where you've got the skill and the power. It's a perfect storm. And just to watch that perfect storm erupt in 2013 summer was just, it was awesome. That's your number one sporting moment in Australia's history. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not a full cricket nuffy. But I do. I always watch the. I love summer. I love you know school holidays, Boxing Day. I love that five test series over summer. Love it. But of course, I hate it when we're struggling. Yeah, I'll never forget that summer. Just watching him tear through the palms. It was, <laughs> it was excellent. Awesome, Dan. Maybe for the first time, bro. I'm going with your Mount Rushmore of. Across the board, I really, I really can't split those. To be fair, any one of those could stand for me as the number one thing that happened. So your wife's having a baby. You've been called down the business end. You've been called down the end to see the baby coming out. Most important part of your life. Hold on a second. It's quiz time. No, I got to do quiz time. Sorry, love. I reckon that's fair, bro. I reckon many, many a. Man has left the maternity ward for quiz operation time. Suite for quiz time. Good thing is now they can do both. You can enjoy second both. best day of your life. Australian sports quiz. Okay, people. Which Australian AFL team changed their colours during World War Two because they didn't want to be affiliated with the Germans? Mm. The Germans. Okay, so I'm thinking of Schwarzenegger. You know the German flag. I'm- yeah, I think there's red and black on it. I'm going to go with Essendon. St Kilda, right? St Kilda decided that they'd go with red, yellow, and black because the Germans' flag was red, white, and black. Right. But then wow. Germany decided to change their flag to red, yellow, and black. So St Kilda were Kilda. okay with it, went back to their red, white, and black. And Nick Rewald? That's interesting. What is the real name of Tiger Woods? Oh it's either God. Eldrick, Elwood, Elton, or Elvis. It's not uh, Tiger, obviously. I'm going to go for Elton. No, it's Eldrick. Eldrick. Sounds like a character from the show we're not allowed to talk about, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> With his wizarding wand of a golf club. <laughs> Poor old Tiger. I think he's, his leg's going to get the better of him. He's not going to play on anymore. I don't think you should feel too sorry for Eldrick. I reckon he's done a right out of yeah. life. 
Question three. Who is the Wallabies' greatest ever try scorer? I've got options here where you can actually just guess straight up. I'm going to go for David Campisi. Campo! Okay. Well, you could think. This one's a bit tricky. What is the distance between the soccer goalposts? A, 6.58 metres. B, 4.54 metres. C, 8.12 metres. Or D, 7.32 metres. Okay. Ah, Jesus. They're all very similar, bro. You could have gone like 40 metres, 8 metres. I know they're quite big. Did you have one around... Six metres? 6.58. I'm going to go for 6.58. No, it was 7.32. Who is Test Cricket's greatest wicket taker? Do you know that without me giving you the... uh... Test Cricket's greatest wicket taker. I think it's an Indian fella. I think it's one of the Indian spinners. A, Shane Warne. B, Glenn McGrath. C, Courtney Walsh. D, Murali. Muralithrin. Yeah. I'm going to go D. Muralithrin. Okay. Collingwood have lost the most grand finals ever. (laughs) How many have they lost? A, 24. B, 27. C, 18. D, 15. I'm going to go with, it's a pure guess, really. I'm going to go with 24. 27. Ah! Jesus, that's a long history of losership. That's a lot they could have won, isn't it? Like, that's incredible. Yeah. How many have they been in? 30? Must have. (laughs) That's that's terrible to lose 27 GFs. Okay, what is Usain Bolt's 100-metre record time? How's this Australian sport? A, 9.64, B, Mm -hmm. 9.58, C, 9.72, D, 9.49. 9.49. I only go 9.72. <laughs> Sorry, 9.58. These are shit questions, aren't they? Which two AFL? What was it 9.58? 9.58 seconds. Yeah, bro, seriously, how am I meant to know this stuff? Yeah, exactly. Which two AFL VFL teams are tied for the most premierships? One. Geelong? And it's probably got to be Collingwood, doesn't it? Yeah. A, Melbourne and Geelong. B, mm-hmm. Brisbane and Hawthorne. C, Carlton and Essendon. D, Sydney and Melbourne. Carlton and Essendon. Which individual swimming race has been the most successful for Australia at the Olympics? The 1500. Bing. These are better questions. I've got half a shot of those. Sydney to Melbourne ultra marathon winner in 1983, was known for training in what footwear? I'm thinking it was Cliff Young Shuffle, and it's no footwear, barefoot. So close. It's Cliff Young. I'm going to give you that. But what? He didn't wear bare feet. He wore socks. Imagine it raining. Galoshes. Oh, yeah, he wore gumboots. Gumboots. Weird old. There you go. Cliff Young shuffle, baby. There's another man who's coined a phrase. Not quite as good as to do a Bradbury. The Cliff Young shuffle. It's where you're jogging, but you're getting overtaken by people who are walking. In 2007, Casey Stoner became world champion in which sport? 500cc MotoGP. Well done. Which Grand Slam did Pat Rafter win twice during his career? Pat Rafter? Mm -hmm. He won twice. Oh, gee. US Open. 
Okay. Which Aussie did he beat in one year? Uh, I'm going to go the poo. The poo. <laughs> Mate, Philip, you're doing good, really good now. Now that I don't have to guess decimal numbers. The banana, the chip, and the torpedo are what methods of doing something in a game? Kick. AFL kicks. Wow, oh, you're on fire. I certainly eased it up a bit, didn't I? Which Aussie distance runner set 17 world records but never medalled at an Olympic Games? Robert DiCostella. Ah! Ron Clark. Oh, Ron Clark. How the hell how, did you, you idiot, Ron? How do you how win seven not get it? Oh, you just choked. peaked at the wrong time, Ron. Choked at the big time. <laughs> choked in the big time. In the big race. Disappointing, Ron. Sorry. World records don't hold as much water as gold medals. Okay. Which VFL team has won four consecutive grand finals? They won four in a row, like a four-peat. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go for Carlton Blues. No. Ah! Magpies. Checked a lot. Even they actually won four in a row. We all know that Don Bradham's average was 99.94. What was the next highest average? You know, the next best batsman in the world. Right now, right this second, I think it might be. So for tests, mm-hmm. right? Steve Smith and Labuschagne are right up there, but it's probably um, Virat Kohli, is it? Ah! It's a guy called AC Vogues, and he had 61.88. And he's also oh, an okay. Australian. It's another old fart. Yeah, but amazing. Never heard of this guy, right? Second yeah. best to Bradman. Sure. Okay, the Socceroos have the world record <sighs> for the largest margin at an international soccer match. That's bad. Are they on the wrong end of it? No, they won. Oh. One, 19 0, I'm going to go 19-0. 31-0. What the hell? Who are they playing? Like the Secret Harbour Bees? I, I forgot to write that down. That's unbelievable, that isn't it? It's been somewhat terrible. Surely Brazil's that blocked pretty, someone by more. Yeah, you'd think so. Maybe Brazil don't turn up unless that's a decent opposition. The Socceroos would play rotten. Get back to me on that one, people. I reckon that must be bullshit. Okay. 31-0. 31-0. Against American Samoa. American Samoa probably thought it was a rugby match. That's embarrassing. All right, Dan. I was so excited and happy about the fast quiz that we had last week. Remember the fast quiz? quiz Yeah, that was good. I've got this one again. But this time, Aussie team names. So I'm going to give you a name. You have to tell me what sport they play. Okay. I like it. You ready to go? Bring this home, bro. Okay. Matildas. Soccer. Female soccer. Kangaroos. Uh, rugby league men. Kookaburras. Men's hockey. Boomers. Uh, male basketball. Sharks. Sharks. Oh, water polo. Australian water polo team. Males. Jillaroos. Jillaroos. Female hockey team. Ah! Rugby league team. Soccerers. Male soccer. Wallabies. Male rugby. Union. Union. Wallaroos. Female rugby union. Stingers. Female water polo. Brilliant. Hockeroos. Uh, hockey roos. Female hockey. Yep. Jackaroos. 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 A wood chopping team. Men's lawn wood chopping team. <laughs> jack, you know, you roll the jack down. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it makes sense. The white ball. Cockatoos. 
Cockatoos. Cockatoos. The cockatoos. The female bowls team. The tennis team. Ah! Like the Fed Cup tennis team. Really? The Diamonds. Diamonds is netball. Australian women netball. Women. Opals. Basketball. Uh, Cricket the Mighty team. Roos. The Mighty Roos. They would be the Launceston based ice hockey team. Ah! The Cyclones. <laughs> Cyclones, geez, the gridiron, Australian gridiron team. The cycling team. The whales. The whalers? Whales, you know, fucking whale, like those. <laughs> um, that must be the dive team. I just made that up. I don't have it. There's no team called the whale. It's Australian dive team. Nothing dives better than a whale. No, sorry. I'm putting it out there. Australian dive team, you should be called the whales. Oh, that's a good quiz, bro. I like your fast quizzes. That was a good one. What about the Quokkas, Dan? What team would be the Quokkas? The Quokkas would be cr- like croquet. Croquet. croquet team. Yeah, there was actually one about, what's that sport they play in the show we're not allowed to mention? Oh, Quidditch. Yeah, there's actually. You just call them the fucking nerds. The nerds, yeah. Get those nerds! Nerd! Nerd! That's it, Dan. I think you did pretty good on that quiz. That brings us to the end of not only the episode 10, but series two. I hope you guys all listen to that on the way to your holidays and um, have a great holiday. But concentrate on the road. Don't let your 18-year-old daughters drive. That message was brought to you by Matt Turner from the Road Department of WE. Thanks to everyone who's listened, downloaded, enjoyed the podcast. You recommend us to your friends. Thanks to everyone who's been on the show. We'll endeavour to get more people. Thanks for listening. Have a fantastic Christmas and New Year's and keep on chewing, people. Chew that freaking fat. So we'll see you next time on Chew the Fat with Dan and Matt. Freaking said, yeah, I told you. Help me in the vibrations of the universe inside of me. Help me beat the shit out of my ego, please.
Matt Series.